You know, we've been looking over these last couple of weeks at the, the letter to the churches of Galatia. That was a region in um, the Mediterranean Rim, which is now part of southern Turkey. Paul had gone and he'd started churches there. And now he was writing back to them because he had heard, he'd gotten reports back about things that were going on, things that were troubling to him, things that were upsetting him. For he had gone in and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, that is through, through grace by faith in Christ alone that one is saved, not by works. He had preached this and it was counterintuitive, it was countercultural for uh, the day. He was preaching in a culture which was sort of like a spiritual Disneyland. If you had a need, there was a God for that. There was a different temple for that. If you had monetary needs, there was a temple for that. If you had something physical, there was a temple for that. If you had something else, you could go. There was a God for everything that you needed. And all of a sudden, Paul comes in and says, no, there's one God. One God who trumps all other gods. And you can know him. There was this thought that the gods were unknowable, that they were sort of out there. They would intercede into human life, but humanity was dirty. The physical life was dirty, and and so God would never take on flesh. And all of a sudden, there's this gospel, this good news of a king who came, God who came and took on flesh, lived among us, dwelt among us, as as John said, and we saw his glory. We saw God himself in him, for he was God. And so Paul's been proclaiming this gospel, and many, many, many people are coming to faith. Their church is beginning, and so now he's concerned. There's been this new movement afoot in the church. And by the way, new movements in the church aren't always a good thing. If that new movement is bringing about a different gospel, which Paul says there is no other gospel, he says, be careful. He says, even if an angel comes and speaks to you. Very interesting. I had someone recently come and ask me, and then one of my sons this week asked me, he said, Dad, isn't it interesting there are several world religions were begun because an angel came and spoke to someone a different gospel than what Jesus Christ said? I said, yeah. He said, didn't Paul warn us about that, Dad? And I said, yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Because there's one gospel, one truth. And Paul said that truth is in Jesus Christ. And it is freedom that that gospel gives you. Freedom from bondage, freedom from shame, freedom from your past, of all of that stuff that comes. It's very interesting, the universal power of shame. I went and saw a a deeply theological movie on on Friday with a couple of my boys. It's The Avengers. Uh, I mean, guys, this one's powerfully theological uh, in it. But it's very interesting, though. You can find truth in the midst of every story. There's a scene where there's a young woman who has a past, and the, the dark figure in it, when he looks at her, guess what he does? He goes, I know you. I know your past. Your past has a lot of red in it. It has a lot of darkness in it. And she began to be overwhelmed by it. There was a sense in which he was going, I'm going to point you back to your past. I'm going to point you back to this because you'll be in bondage to it. Paul says the same thing. I'm going to point you back to your past, but what I'm going to tell you about your past is you're freed from it. The power of the gospel breaks the power of sin in your life. And it doesn't matter who you are. You are able to be saved by Christ's power. Isn't that good news? And only a person who has a very small view of the sin in their own life and a very small view of the power of the cross would ever look at anybody else and go, how is it that that person could come to faith? 
If you ever have thought that about someone, if I don't know if that person's ever going to be able, be able to come to faith, what you're saying is, it didn't take much for Jesus to save me, but it's going to take an awful lot for Jesus to save that scoundrel. You know, that person, that kind of terrible person. You know, in the South, they had, uh, had sort of gradations of bad people. There were, after the Civil War, there were carpetbaggers. And carpetbaggers were the northerners who came down and they worked and they were coming down and working. And some took advantage of southerners. And so carpetbaggers isn't a good term. I remember my mom was joking. She's from New York. My dad's first job was in Wilmington, North Carolina, after they got married. And an elder came up to my mom expecting that she was a good southern girl. His daddy was from Birmingham, Alabama. And he put his arm around her and he said, Maggie, we're so thankful that you and Bill are here. Because we're tired of all these bleep carpetbaggers coming down and messing with our southern church. (laughs) And she just smiled, didn't say a thing, and later he realized what he'd done. That was the nicest elder to her for their whole time there. So there was these views of carpetbaggers. But then there are scallywags. Now, scallywag was a southerner who had worked for the northerners. And that person was even worse in southern eyes. You see, we have those same kind of gradations. God might be able to save a bad person. It'd take a little bit of work for him to get a carpetbagger. I don't think he can save scallywags. We do the same thing. Paul's saying he can save everybody. Because the power of the cross levels it all. And if the power of the cross is the leveling agent which says we all stand on that level ground under the cross, all desperately in need of this same salvation, we are all equally bad and equally condemned. You realize that? I mean, we haven't all gone out and done the same horrible things, but we are all equally condemned and equally dead in our sins and trespasses. Therefore, we are equally in need of this cross. Guess what happens after salvation? You are equally empowered to go out and to minister. There are no secondary or second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. You realize that, don't you? That you have living within you the exact same spirit that I have living within me. You have living within you the exact same spirit that's living or was living in the Apostle Paul or Peter or Billy Graham or, or Spurgeon or Keller or whoever it is that you want to point to. The Spirit of God is active in your midst, and therefore you have a powerful calling in your life, and you should never be intimidated by going out and doing what God's called you to do. That's what we're going to talk about today, is this idea of being intimidated. I remember when I was little, I would get intimidated. There were big guys. I remember I moved from a little town in in, uh, Missouri, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and I moved to Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and it was a big city in my estimation. And I remember getting on the activity bus after school, my first time of playing football, and I was wearing the number 78. Now, that's a lineman's number. This body may look and reflect a little more like a lineman now, not much. But when I was in eighth grade, I didn't. I was a kid whose nose grew faster than the rest of his face, big, thick glasses, the zipper head cut right down here, you know. And, and all of a sudden, this humongous guy in the back of the bus goes, Hey! 78. I'm like, oh no. I was like, I'm dead. I'm just new. I'm new. I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I get it. I'm sorry. Is this your number? He goes, yep, that's my number. It's like, okay. I started to take off. I didn't have anything else, you know, sure enough. But I was like, okay, you can have the jersey. He goes, I don't want the jersey. I was so intimidated by this guy. 
Then he looked at me and he goes, just wear it well. I was like, oh. But I was intimidated. It, it scared me. I lost all confidence in the middle of that. For some of you, you're intimidated, not only by the world that's around you, which is challenging you, but you're intimidated even within the family here. You look around, you go, well, that person has more gifts than I do, or that person's got better this than I do, or that person looks better than I do, or whatever it is. Paul is coming today and saying, don't be intimidated. God has uniquely gifted you, called you, empowered you, and given you a unique message to go out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn over with me to Galatians uh, chapter uh, 2. We're going to be looking there uh, at the first 10 verses. So this is God's word. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is each of us has a unique calling. One of the reasons that you shouldn't be intimidated and that you should be confident in who you are and what you are supposed to do is each of you has a calling on your life. Calling or vocas, that you're called to something, uh, that you have a purpose and a meaning in life. Rick Warren wrote a book about that, didn't he? Some of you may be familiar with it, The Purpose Driven Life. Folks, that's not rocket science. That's a really simple biblical principle. God designed you for a purpose. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God made you for a purpose? For many of you, you want to believe that, but you're still not sure what it is. You're trying to figure out what this calling is. What is your purpose in life? I gave a little hint of it to the kids. If you've ever read in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a confession of our faith that we use in our denomination, there are those questions or catechisms. And the first one is, what is the chief end or what is the end of mankind? Do you know what it is? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if you're asking the question, what's God calling me to do? Let me give you a broad brushstroke over the top uh, calling. You are called... To glorify God and enjoy Him. 
You are called to live out your life wherever you are, in whatever sphere of influence you are in, in whatever place God puts you, you are called to glorify him and to enjoy him in the middle of that. Do you know that? I used to, I love asking college students and high school students this, especially it's exam week back home for my guys. Fellas, are you glorifying God this week in your studies? They look at me with an absolutely blank face. It's studies, dad. Yes, but you know that you can glorify God in the middle of your studies, right? Yeah, dad, we've heard you preach on that before. But no, it's no, fellas, you really understand this. In the middle of whatever mundane thing you're called to do, you can glorify God. If you're going to play golf, you can glorify God in the way that you play golf. If you're driving, you glorify God in the way you drive. If you're going to go cook, go glorify God in the way that you're going to cook today, in the way that you're going to relate with your spouse, in the way that you do everything, glorify God. Piper changes it just a little bit. John Piper, who's a a pastor in the U.S., he says, by enjoying God. Do you realize that? that you're called to enjoy God. Isn't that nice? Some of you come up to me after a sermon on Sunday mornings and you go, I feel good after that. I'm not sure I'm supposed to. Maybe you've grown up in churches where you're supposed to feel badly after a sermon. But that's not what I understand, that you're supposed to enjoy God. And you're supposed to enjoy Him enjoying you of going out and living in the fullness of what he's called you for, and that's to go out and to do that. Now think of the various callings then. There's one high calling, and that is, if you're a Christian, you're called that, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then there are secondary callings that fall into place. My primary calling in life is to live the entirety of my life to the glory of God and enjoy him in that. I'm called in all of that to do. My secondary calling, I'm married Therefore, underneath that one, I'm called to love Lisa well. Here's the secret of marriage, guys. You want to know the secret of marriage? Love one woman well for the rest of her life. Women, you want to know the secret of marriage? Love one man well for the rest of your life. That brings marriage down to a real simple thing. But it says, under the fact that I'm called to honor and glorify God as a Christian, called to him... Now I'm called to love my spouse. Well, if you have children, guess what another calling is in your life? Love your kids well. If you're a kid, guess what? It goes the other way too. Part of your calling is to love and honor your parents well in your life. And then come all these other callings. Now, Paul had a particular calling here in verse 7. He said, I have a particular calling that God has sort of, you can use a different word if you want to, an assignment. Under the big calling of being uh, God's, being his child, enjoying him and doing that, I've got another assignment. And my assignment now is to go out and I'm going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. He was going to go out and preach to people who hadn't heard the gospel before. That was his particular giftedness and calling in that. He said, now Peter and some of the others, they were called to a different group of people. people Peter's primary audience was a Jewish culture audience. And so they had different assignments. Did it make one assignment better or worse than the other? Did it? It made them different. It made them different. It didn't make Paul greater than Peter or Peter greater than Paul. They had equal tasks going out and doing different assignments for the same goal. Glorifying God and enjoying him. Does that make sense? 
So for you all, in your different assignments in the world today, what are they? For some of you, it's to be a really godly realtor, a godly teacher, a a, a godly musician, a godly business owner, someone who does all of those. For me, mine is to be a pastor. Is my calling greater than your calling? Careful there. No is the right answer. My calling is simply different from yours. We normally do it this way. Well, you know, I came to Jesus and I felt like, well, if I really wanted to love Jesus, then I I was supposed to quit whatever else I was doing and go into ministry. And so I was going to go and, uh, well, maybe I wasn't going to quit my day job, but at least I was going to go teach in the church. And that was a pretty good calling. Well, okay, that's fine. But then I realized if I really wanted to be spiritual, I probably needed to be a pastor. So I I quit and I went on to seminary and I was going to be a pastor. But then I realized, oh, wow, pastor's okay. But I mean, look at me. Am I really suffering in Hilton Head? Of course not. So if I really want to be spiritual, I probably need to go someplace in Africa as a missionary. And if I'm going to do missions, it can't be someplace nice. It's got to be a really tough place because then I'm more spiritual. That does incredible damage to the idea of calling. Because what you're saying is that missionary over there is greater in some way than you are. They're not, folks, and they would tell you they're not. They just have a different assignment. Your assignment here is no less important. You have a unique calling. Never be intimidated by someone else's calling. You should be thankful that God gifted me in this way because I can do what I do. And I am thankful that God gifted you in your way that you can do what you do. Because guess what happens when all of us come together? We make quite an interesting group of people. Because the second thing that I want you to see is we were all uniquely gifted. We all have unique callings in our lives, different. And those callings secondarily change from time to time. You may be a teacher for a season. You may be a business person for a season. You may do this for a season or that for a season. Those callings may change, but they're always under the primary calling of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And in the midst of that, God has uniquely gifted you for your call. He's uniquely made you special and given you the tools to go out and do certain things. I remember one of my first jobs that I had was a carpenter's apprentice. And he said, now, Bill, I I want you to go and cut this. We were were trying to stick build a a garage, uh, you know, all of the framework of this garage. And I, I didn't know what stick built meant. I had stick built, you know, with tongue depressors as a kid, a little thing. But it sure wasn't something I'd want someone to pay for or live in. And he said, now, Bill, I need you to go over and I need you to do this and you do this and you do this. I had a saw and a piece of wood. And I stood there for a while. And I looked. And I cut the, the wood. And he said, that was a totally wrong angle of the cut. And I said, well, I didn't have what I needed to have. He goes, well, you needed a miter box, and you needed this, and you needed this, and this angle, and all of these things. I, and then what I actually needed more than anything else was some semblance of giftedness in that area. I didn't have it. Some of us think that's how church is and life for Christ is. That he's going to send you out, and he's given you some assignment. Go you into all of the world, and go and do these things, and you're going to get out there, and you're going to realize you don't have the right tools. You don't have the right gifts. Let me tell you something. God uniquely gifts you for the place that he has you. 
He has given you those gifts, and they're different and unique from the other gifts that are around you. Look at what uh, Paul says here. Paul says uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above. And then it says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the church until we all attain to the unity of faith for the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro in that way. But he said, basically, he's equipped you And then he goes on he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What he's saying is this, you have been uniquely called and in the midst of your calling, you have been uniquely gifted. Some of you have gifts of teaching of speaking, use those gifts. Some of you have gifts of service and of mercy, use your gifts. Some of you have gifts of music, use your gifts. Some of you have other unique gifts, use your gifts. Some of you have gifts of building things. Some of you have gifts of doing accounting, use your gifts. Some of you have all these various gifts, use them for the kingdom of God and the building up of the saints pastor went on a mission trip to the Philippines and he was working with um, uh, the Bible translation work there that was going on with Wycliffe and Jars. And he came and he was talking to a man who was there on the base and he said, what's your role here? And the man says, I help translate the Bibles. He's like, wow. He thought this guy was a linguist in some, you know, PhD guy. And then later he saw this fellow and he was washing dishes. And he said, I thought you said you helped translate the Bible. I said, I do. I wash the dishes so that those who can translate don't have to worry with these things. You see what he understood? I've been given simple gifts. I can really wash dishes well, but I'm going to wash dishes well so that Bibles are translated, so that people can come to faith. His work wasn't smaller or greater than anybody else's. It was part of the same work. He was gifted in a certain way. Do you get it? Some of you serve over here in the nursery and praise God for you. Because guess what you're doing in the nursery? You're freeing parents up to be able to be in here without certain distractions from little ones so that they can come. And some of them not ever hearing the gospel can come to faith. So when someone asks you, what do you do in the life of the church ministry? I help people come to faith. I help in evangelism. Well, how do you do that? Well, I change dirty diapers on Sunday mornings. Awesome. Praise God. Do you see it? You're gifted to do things. Not everybody can hold a screaming baby, right? Not everybody has the gift of embracing vomit uh, on a Sunday morning and going, wow, isn't that wonderful? This is a little gift of God. You know? But some of you are gifted in that way. God's uniquely gifted you. The scripture also says that God has uniquely empowered you. He's called you. He's gifted you. 
Now he gives you power to use those gifts. Now he gives you power, a supernatural power. In Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and into the ends of the earth. He says there is going to be power. There is a power that is given to you that is larger than any other power in the world. It is the power of God himself. Do you know who's dwelling in you right now? The Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity, equal with God in power and in glory, is dwelling in you. Do you believe that? If you believed it, you'd live differently. If you really believed it, you would would look and go, God, we can do anything. I can do all things through what? Christ, who strengthens me. I can take these simple gifts that he's given me and for his glory and to his name, I can use them and people's lives will be changed. Why? Because of me? Absolutely not. But the power of God working through me. Do you know who's dwelling inside of me that gives me the ability to do what I do? The spirit of God. The same spirit in you and in me working together for the same calling, doing those things. You have power in you. You have power, and that's not an innate power. That is a supernatural power, an alien, if you were, power that has come into you. And for too many of us, what we're doing is we're looking at the world and we're looking and seeing this calling, which is massive. That's quite a calling, isn't it? Go out into all the world and make disciples. A little overwhelming. I don't know all the demographics uh, of Hilton Head Island, but I know this. There's an awful lot of folks who aren't in a church this morning. And there are an awful lot of folks who don't believe anything that we believe to be true. Therefore, we have quite a calling here on this island and in Bluffton and in this area is to go and make known the name of Jesus Christ. And that can be overwhelming, except then we look and go, oh, but we've got gifts. We've got some great gifted people. In the few weeks and months I've been here, I'm noticing we have incredibly talented and gifted people here in the church. But see, that wouldn't even be enough. A whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of talent going out and trying to do an impossible task is still a failure. But if God empowers us to do it, watch out. If God's doing it, what we're doing, folks, so often is you're grabbing a little 9-volt alkaline and you're trying to plug it into something that needs a power source of eternity God is saying, I will empower your life. Quit trying the self-help. Quit trying all the white knuckle grin and bear it. Pull up your bootstraps and go and do these things. Let me empower you. Let me do it for you. And the only way to do that is to simply say every morning and every moment, we call them breath prayers in our family. Lord, help. Spirit, come. Give me power now. Do you think God knows what I mean by that? I don't need to drop down on a knee and go into King James. O Lord Most High, thine is the glory and the power and this and that. It's just, God, help me now. Guess what I say as I walk up here every single Sunday? God, now would be a good time. Do you, know what he, what, do, you, do you think he knows what I mean by that? God, now would be a really good time for your spirit to come upon me and for you to speak through me. Because I'm about to step into a place that I shudder to step into. But I know that you've called me. You've gifted me, and now I need your power to take simple words and use them to be effective in people's lives. I've heard from two people this week. They came to faith this way. They read their Bibles. By the simple reading of Scripture, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
How did that happen? God, spirit, power coming through the words changed their lives. That's awesome. You all have a calling. You all have gifts. You all have power going out. And the final thing that I'll say as we close today is this. You all have a message, a unique message to give. And the message is the message of the gospel. That's what Paul says over and over again in here. He says, I came to the guys back in Jerusalem. Think about this. You talk about being intimidated. Now, Paul was a bigwig Pharisee, but he wasn't a bigwig Christian leader. He had come to faith and he'd gone out and he'd been ministering over there in Asia Minor. But the main church was somewhere over there in Jerusalem and they were doing ministry. And there were obviously some tensions between those two. The church over in Jerusalem was concerned a little bit about what Paul might be teaching because he didn't make the Greeks and all the Gentiles be circumcised, which was, without getting lost in the middle of all of that, it was a mark. It was a mark of the covenant within Judaism. And he said, guys, you don't need that anymore. The external things of the law, the kosher law, they've all been fulfilled in Christ. Simply believe, have faith in Christ alone, in his death and resurrection, and you'll be saved. Well, there were some Greeks or some Jewish leaders who were coming in and they're saying, no, but you have to add law to it. You remember we talked about that a little bit. And so Paul comes back to Jerusalem and they were having sort of a conference. Paul goes, I wasn't intimidated by those guys because I know who I am. I know that I've been called for this message. I know that I've been gifted and I know that I've been empowered. And when they began to talk, they realized there was one message and one message only. And you know what that message is? It's the gospel. Folks, there's only one message that we have, and it's this message. And it is redundant, and it is repetitive, and you will hear it every single week. And if you don't want to hear it every single week, then there's other places you can go, and I promise you'll never hear it. But you will hear it here, and it is this. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And it is not by works that you are saved, but through grace and faith that you are saved, not of yourselves, so that none should boast For by grace you have been saved. Over and over and over, Paul says that. Old Testament, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was through faith. It wasn't through anything of work that we come to him. And Paul said, that's the message. Let nobody add anything else to it. You don't have to do anything else to gain God's approval except to simply believe. To have faith in him. To know and acknowledge him. And then after that, guess what? Then you go out and you want to obey the law. Remember, we've said it over and over. You're going to get sick of me saying it. The indicative goes in front of the imperative. Remember what that meant? For Christ has set you free. The gospel has been at work in your heart. Now, therefore, go and obey. Now, for go and do these things. Go and live in this way. If you reverse them, it's legal and it's bondage and it's death. Some of you are still trying to earn your way to heaven. Some of you are still trying to be good enough for God. And let me help you with that one. You will never be good enough for God. Quit now. And it's in the quitting and in the saying, God, I can never be good enough for you, but Christ was good enough for me. And I believe in him. And I trust him. That all of a sudden, he says, you're worthy. All of a sudden, he says, you're perfect now that you've recognized your imperfection. It's in that message of the cross that we give, grace and good news. That's our message. So this morning, let's bring it back together. Don't be intimidated by anybody, for you were uniquely called. You have been uniquely gifted. 
You have been uniquely empowered and you have a unique message. And at the end of the day, guess who it is that's, that's doing all the work? God. You are in the hand of the craftsman. You're in the hand of God who is using you in all of our differences, in all of our uniqueness, in all of that, proclaiming the same message that we will see people come to faith and lives changed and marriages reestablished and families brought back together and good news proclaimed here through this church. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that it's about you and not me. I so easily like to make it about me. And you bring me back to yourself. Thank you that it's not up to my giftedness because that would lead me to pride or arrogance. Thank you that it's a message that you've given us and that it's been safe and sealed for all of these years and that we proclaim that same message that Paul proclaimed, the same message that Abraham proclaimed, the same message that Gideon proclaimed, the same message throughout all the ages. We proclaim it, the message of the coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and no one else is there life or hope. Father, use us here at at our church, in our ministries, to go and to share this good news. Would we never be intimidated by an enemy who tries to shut us down, by others in the church who may seem as more gifted than us, but would we always work towards this end of proclaiming the good news of Jesus? Father, one day we're going to be able to get into our rest on Jordan's banks will be. And we look there, but until that day, we labor on and we labor in your strength and in it we never grow tired and we praise you for that. To Christ be the glory. Amen. I stand this is a great old song on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye that Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We're going someplace folks, you know that right? Hilton Head may be a great destination, but it isn't the best destination. There is a destination that is greater than any other destination, and it is into the promised land. And so we're heading there, and we're heading there together. Let's rejoice in the journey. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast away All o'er those wide extended plains Shines one eternal day There God the sun forever reigns And scatters night away I am bound, I am bound I am bound for the promised land I am bound, I am bound, I am bound bound for the promised land. No chilling winds, no poisonous breath can reach that helpful shore. There's sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. I am bound, I am I am bound for the promised land. 
same place. That means when I look to my left and I see you there, and I look to my right and I see you there, I can gain strength from that. And I also know that when I get weak and I lose sight of where I'm going, and I forget that I'm uniquely called, and I forget that I have unique gifts and power and message, you can come along and remind me of that. As my brothers and my sisters in Christ You can say, don't grow weak or faint or weary. Keep going. Keep going. And we can cheerlead and encourage one another on until we get there. Guys, that's the picture of the body of Christ. It's a bunch of cheerleaders. And it's a bunch of soldiers coming together and going, we're going that way. And that's the best way to go. And if you've been out and you're trying to figure out what the purpose of your life is, and you're here today, let me tell you, God has a purpose for your life. Commit your life to him and he'll show it to you. And it'll be the greatest journey you've ever been on in your whole life, I promise. And we'll do it together. And now receive the blessing of God who's with you every step of the way along life's journey. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance towards you and grant you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace today.